0: Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Sword and the Spirit where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teachings and interviews. Our goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit says to the church. scripture just read out of Matthew's gospel, the 10th chapter, Jesus makes it clear about his terms of following him. And one of those terms is self-denial. But it seems that today you don't hear messages on self-denial. We don't talk about it. And quite, in fact, it's quite the opposite. Today, all we hear about now is self-esteem. You know, it starts young, you know, when kids are younger and everyone gets a trophy. You know, my kids were in school and they'd be in a sporting event and they would lose and still go out for pizza. And I'm saying to myself, okay, so wait a minute here. You just lost. Now you're going out for pizza. Now, being 62 years old myself, I remember back in the day if we lost anything. We didn't get pizza. In fact, we got no reward. The only reward we got for losing anything was more work. You ran more laps, you did more exercises, etc. And, you know, depending on your coach, whoever he you was, you'd kind of get chewed out uh, for losing. But you weren't rewarded for, for loss. Now, what this did for us is we had to learn that, and it teaches life lessons. That's why I am a proponent of sports in schools. Not just academics, because there are life lessons you can learn playing in sports that you'll never learn in a classroom or or that can be quantified on a chalkboard. You have to actually get out there and understand what it means to depend on other people, other people depending on you, what it means to work as a team. It's not always about you, etc. And most importantly, learning how to lose. That it's not the end of the world. You can go and and train hard. It's just a sign that you need to work harder or up your game and level yourself up. And so the people who lose but don't like it and wanna win next time, they level up. More exercise, more weights, whatever they have to do, more training, watching videos, films, whatever. And these are important life lessons that you learn from your experiences. This is why we lost. This is why we didn't get the, we didn't, uh, get the contract, yada, yada, yada. And you go back to the drawing board and you work a little bit harder and you make the proper adjustments and then to have success the second time around. So every loss is a learning experience. But if you keep rewarding them, then why should I up? Why should I level up? Why should I take my game to the next level? It doesn't matter. We're all getting pizza. Everybody gets a trophy. Why work harder? Now I understand with small children. When you got a two-year-old or a three, four, five-year-old, I guess, you know, a stick ball and and they uncoordinated can't you know you put the ball on a stick and they still can't hit it. Yeah, you don't beat children down. I get that. I I, I get that. I would never encourage beating down children or you know that type of thing. But there has to come a point in a child's life, at some point, when they're old enough to process loss, that you train them and teach them how to handle that loss and how to recover from it, and that the world does not reward you when you lose. It just doesn't. That's how the real world works. And so you have a generation of young people that are privileged, and when they they go to get a job... And I say this from experience, I've talked to several young people, and I hear it all the time, and they want to go to the top. They want top dollar. And I'm saying, but you're at an entry-level position. How are you going to just jump in there and get top dollar? And then they say, well, that's what I want. I say, well, what do you have to offer? I mean, if you want top dollar, then you got to sit down and, and make the company convince them that your skill set is worth it. That, that, you know, what you're going to do for them is, is going to be absolutely worth worth it to them to give you top dollar if you can't convince them of that they're not going to give you top dollar well most of them just sit there with blank stares looking at me like i don't understand and 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 i and i but i realize where that comes from it comes from the idea that everybody wins regardless of what they do or the or what they don't do that point on it moves on to getting in touch with our true selves living my truth Um, it becomes very personal about me or being true to myself and there is a place and I'll talk about it for a proper self-esteem but right now I'm just talking about how self-esteem period has just taken over center stage in our churches and so all the messages are geared for this um, and so how everything is designed to uh, take us in that direction now this thing has infected our sermons and entire church services are all about you um, you know you read a scripture and somebody in the bible does something phenomenal and then you say because this person did something phenomenal You can also do the same phenomenal thing But instead of Instead of fighting Instead of fighting uh, an enemy Your enemy can be anger Bitterness, jealousy And you're overcoming those things um, That's um, Makes it all about you still So entire services Are are, are committed to you Are committed uh, To you uh even songs that are, are, are being created. Even now they're making songs about uh, go. I went to the enemy's camp and stole back what he took from me. Uh, So again, it's about you. You go into the camp, you overpower the devil, and you take back whatever he took from you. But it's still about you. You're the conqueror. You're the winner. You win. Uh, they'll go to Joshua 1, eight. This book of the law shall I depart out of your mouth, but you shall... Meditate upon it day and night. This way you'll make your way prosperous and have good success. And then next thing you know, I'm getting 10 steps on how to be a successful Christian or have it live a successful life or what a successful life looks like. But it's still about me. It's all the focuses on me and how I can be or how I can do. Uh, and things that I need to do to please God, things that I need to do to... Um, Or an overemphasis on things, on what I need to do in terms of getting favor with God. Not even so much pleasing, but just someone to get, by pleasing, I mean, people want to get favor with God. They want to get, uh, this will put you in a position, you know, uh, to get things from God that you need. If you do these various things. So I go into the enemy's camp and take back what was stolen. In each case, the focus is on you or me. And we are the star of the movie, and not god that's what ends up uh happening is that we become the stars of the of the show itself and this is why it resonates with us these messages because you know how to how to build strong relationships, how to find the right spouse if you're single how to uh deal with your issues, with your with your personal battles, whatever it is you're battling personally, how to overcome that. Ironically, the apostle Paul had a personal battle uh, with a thorn in the flesh. He had his own. We all have those thorns in the flesh. I have my thorn in the flesh. So do you. Uh, but ironically, when Paul went to God to deal with his thorn in the flesh, God didn't give him 10 steps or, or say, read the story of, of David and Goliath or read the story of, of Joshua, the battle of Jericho, read this story of Gideon, or this the story of... God didn't tell him anything. The only thing God told him was, my grace is enough. For your weakness, my strength is made perfect. How about that? And God refused to remove the thorn from him. Wow, so maybe there are no steps for you to get rid of that thorn in the flesh. Maybe you just have to depend on the grace of God. Well, that wouldn't be cool. At least not in our day and age. That's not enough. The grace of God doesn't seem to be sufficient for us. We want more, like total answerism. It's where we just suddenly solve the problem. Now, why does this appeal or resonate with us? Well, let's do a little looking here. There's a thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, when you're at the bottom of that thing and you don't have your basic needs met of food, clothes, and shelter. Everybody needs that, and of course, water, uh, which would be included with food. And when, and when we're not, when those things are not satisfied, then we become desperate. And this is one of the reasons why people have wars. They're trying to get resources. People steal because they're hungry and so forth. According to the United Nations, the 2015 estimates that, estimates that 736 million people live below the poverty line. That was in 2015, which is about roughly 10% of the world's population. That has gone down a little bit. 2021, the last uh, thing that I have here, the UN says about 9.20% of the world's population is below the poverty line, living in, in poverty. And by poverty, I mean not enough food, or clothes, or shelter. Day to day, it's a serious, it's a life and death struggle. That's what I mean by poverty. And I believe that's the term the UN is using here as well. And now let's, so that's all the people that are hungry or starving and living in poverty. But now let's take another look. There are 2 billion people who live in conflict areas, in other words, war-torn countries. 426 of those 2 billion people, according to the United Nations figures, 426 million of which are children that live in a war-torn country. Which would come to about at least a quarter of the population of the earth. About one quarter of the po- people on the earth are living in a war-torn slash impoverished nation. Okay, one quarter. Now add to that the rest of the world, myself included. We would still love. We're not. We're not high up on that hierarchy, Maslow hierarchy of needs. We might be close to the top, but we're not there yet. Everybody's trying to get to that top position, and the better off you are, the more philosophical you become about life. This is why when you, rich people want to talk, they always want to talk to you about giving you advice on how to become rich. They're not going to actually help you become rich. It's going to give you advice on what you need to do. But they're not going to give you any money or feed you. That's not going to happen. But you'll get plenty of advice. Why? Because when people are comfortable and live in a position of luxury and power, they tend to forget where they came from or how they got there. And some of them outright just don't care because it's only about myself. And so they see you and they like, you know, they, if, if, they, if they do give you the time of day, it's just advice, which may or may not be relevant to what you're dealing with. And if I'm hungry, I don't want advice. I want a sandwich. You can deal with the advice later. So you got a quarter of the world's population. Now, the take about us, now the rest of us here, who's not part of that quarter of the population, included, and, and we would all love to be. I'm not wealthy. I'm not in that quarter of the population that's in poverty and war-torn, but I'm not wealthy either. But I'm comfortable, I'm good. You know, thank God I have a house and I have clothes and, and food, etc. So I'm doing all right, I guess by, by human standards. But we all want to be rich. I'd like to be rich, and so would you. That's, and it's not a sin. It's just it's how you get there. There's a legitimate way and there's an illegitimate way to do it. But I'd love to be wealthy enough to practically do whatever we want. We'd all would like that. Who doesn't want that? Right? Hence, preachers... Who, so now then, this is where it enters the church. So preachers know this, that the, a vast majority of people... Particularly, you go say to South America, or some uh, what what was once considered third world. I know that's not politi- politically correct to say that, but for the sake of explanation here, impoverished countries, countries that are not in the G seven, the, the the economic powers of the world, uh, countries that ha- that have a substantial uh, amount of, of political unrest, a substantial amount of poverty, and a substantial amount of of um, hunger. You live in those countries and you just want to get some help. You want some relief. So I understand it. I'm not knocking the people who come to these types of services. You hear what I'm saying? I totally get it. Man, you get desperate and you're sick and you you can't afford a doctor. You want God to heal you. If you're living a life of poverty and there's a bunch of gangs running around in your streets... this and you're surrounded by violence and war when the evangelist comes in and tells you you know god you know you get saved and you give to god god's gonna turn your life around god's gonna make things better and your life is going to improve because god now you have divine help right you can't get help from your government you can't get help from your neighbors they're in the same situation as you you don't know anybody wealthy that's willing to help you maybe your kids aren't that talented they're talented but they're not that talented to, to where they can or maybe they are talented and they're just in a place where they're not likely to be discovered by some great Hollywood producer or some sporting team. Well, hey, so now you're desperate. You want to live a better life. Nobody wants to be poor. Nobody wants to be hungry. Nobody wants to live in a war-torn country. At least I know I don't, and I don't think anybody listening to me does. Who wants that, right? So nobody does. So again, I'm not knocking them. What I am talking about is the preachers that take advantage of these poor people and give them false hope. That's what I'm talking about. And so the entire, you know, and I, turn, and I see it on television, even in America. I see it on, you turn on the TV, especially early on Sunday mornings. You see these guys get on TV and they're having a testimony service. And one after the other, and they're usually Hispanic or African American. That's right, I said it. Because they go into these impoverished nations, these impoverished impoverished communities that are playing the lottery, thinking that they're going to hit or hoping for some sort of supernatural turnaround. And they're told that, you know, here's some holy water, here's some oil from Israel or wherever they claim to have gotten it from. You know, I don't know if the water is holy. You could have ran it out of a sink. You know, what makes it holy anyway? You know, oil. I can go to Crisco. I can go to I can go to Super Super Fresh, or I can go to uh, Shoprite or Walbombs or any one of these other super grocery stores, Piggly Wiggly, and I can go and just buy me some some uh, Crisco oil. Get some small tiny bottles from the dollar store somewhere and pour pour it in there, and then sell it out as blessed and anointing oil. And you put this on you, you're gonna you're gonna be blessed. And I promise you, that some people will come and buy it. Four dollars a pop or whatever I want to sell it for it it 's insane it 's really insane, but I understand i 'm not knocking the people because they are desperate and they you know you, 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 you any you 're grasping at straws anything man it 's like a drowning man when a person's drowning in the water, and you go to rescue them anything that they think they make physical contact with anything your body. or or whatever, they're going to hang on to it and try to, for dear life, try to pull themselves out. So here here people are drowning or perceive themselves to be drowning. And here the preacher shows up with so-called lifeline. You hear testimony after testimony. I gave so much money to this one here. Now I can walk. I can see out my eye. And all these fake testimonies that they get people to to give. And they probably either get paid or they give them what I call a placebo because you can psychosomatically... uh, Get people to convince that the God is healed when he really hasn't. It's just all in their head, and the proof is is that when they go home, it's they're right back to square one, and, um, and then these preachers get away with it. and Said, you know, you lost faith, and so God took back His healing. Let me tell you, let me make this clear to you: if God heals you of any disease, you will never get that disease again. You'll eventually die, but you'll you won't die from that. God doesn't. God's not doesn't is not into you know. I give it to you, then I take it back. And you don't have the power to lose your healing. You can't make yourself lose your healing. That's nonsense. Now, what will happen is, uh, if you have bad eating habits, and say so you have some heart problems, God heals you, and you continue to say bad eating habits, yeah, then you probably will die from heart attack. Because along with that comes changing some of your habits, your eating habits. But God himself not, never takes back what he gives you. So if he healed you and you were crippled, you don't get home, you don't get home and fall down on the floor again. That, that's, that's insane. It's a one and done with God. Okay, something else will kill you, but just not that. So what happens? These preachers come in and they offer you temporal things and promise that if you one give to their ministry, God's going to bless you. Because you gave to the ministry and to the man of God. And they always go back to Elijah when, with the widow. He said, give me, give me some cake to eat. And she said, well, I only have enough for me and my son. And we were going to make it and we were going to die. And then people think that the principle there is that God allowed the oil not to run out. And she, never had, she always had enough oil and whatever she needed to bake cakes. You know, until the time for God to make it rain again in Israel, and people think, "Oh, see, that story is an example of what happens when you give to the man of God, and and uh, you know, therefore God blessed her." Well, number one, no, 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 no. Read the story. God told the prophet, "Go down to this woman in Zarephath, because she is going to feed you." So that was not, there was no condition upon which she had, she didn't have to do anything to feed him. God had already decreed that that was what was going to happen. He, she was going to feed him. So the order had been given. Once God gives an order, uh, whether she gave him her last cake or not, it was going to happen. Okay, that's number one. So it wasn't contingent on whether she baked him a cake or, or whatever it was she made. And then uh, because she didn't do it, well, you know, uh, because she did it now, God blessed her. No, she was already blessed by God. God had already determined this lady's going to feed you. Wouldn't have mattered. Let's say she had ate it before he got there. If God said that she's going to feed him, God had found a way to feed him. And for him to tell her how to get, get back what she needed. It wouldn't have made a bit of difference. Second of all, second of all. If a prophet shows up, I don't. I didn't know this guy's a prophet. I know the guy's a prophet. I'm not talking about the fake pretend ones. We know. I'm talking about this is a known prophet. This guy does all kinds of supernatural stuff. And he says, I'll tell you what, bake me a cake first. That bake me a cake first implies there's going to be a second. Just common sense. And I'd be a rocket scientist to figure it out. First, so that, he's going to do a second one because I only got one. I got enough for one. But if uh, if I only had one last meal in me and my child and I were going to eat it and we're going to die, whether you give him that, that meal to eat or whether you don't give him that meal to eat, in either case, my doom is certain. So whether we eat the last meal and die, it's just one more. We're probably near death now as it is. So by giving him that one meal, she wasn't making any sacrifice because Either God was going to do something miraculous or they were going to die anyway. So what's one more meal, right? So I don't think she did anything heroic. But, and, and let me say this. The point of that story, that's not the point of the story. Everything I just said there. I'm just trying to rebut some of the craziness that people say. But the point of the story of the widow of Zarephath, Jesus Later on, comes down the pike and he comes down later on and he explains to us what the widows, the story about the widow of Zerapath was about. He tells the scribes and Pharisees, in the time of Elijah, of the prophet, when God shut up heavens that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years. He said that the prophet was not sent to anyone but the widow of Zerapath. In other words, isn't... the Did it ever occur to you guys that the prophet only helped non-Israeli people? That the children of Israel didn't get anything miraculous from God during the time that they were shut up? God was giving an object lesson, and Jesus made it clear. That sinners will go into the kingdom of God before the religious people. In this case, it was the scribes and Pharisees. But you yourselves, children of the kingdom, you who think that you're part of the kingdom of God by birth, watch out, church kids, just because you grew up in church, and you were born in church, and you've been in church your whole life, doesn't mean you're going to get into the kingdom. This is not by birth, not by physical birth, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. That's the new birth. It has nothing to do with who your parents are, and, how, and whether they're, pre- they're, they're, they're pastor, bishop, apostle, prophet, whatever you want to call them, doesn't save you. But Jesus said, You yourselves, children of the kingdom, will find yourselves cast into outer darkness. Okay, salvation has nothing to do with your pedigree and who your parents are. When the Jews came to John to be baptized by John to to check out the Pharisees came to check out the baptism of John the Baptist, John the Baptist said to those scribes and Pharisees, Do not think that you're saved because Abraham is your father. Because I tell you, God can raise up of these stones children to Abraham, for Abraham out of these stones if necessary. And he was letting the religious Pharisees know, don't think that you're in the kingdom simply by birth. It don't work that way. That was the point of the story of the widow of Zarephath. God sent, him, sent, him, sent the prophet to a non-Jewish woman, a Gentile. But he did nothing for his own people. Literally nothing. Just shut up the heavens and just let it let the drought come. Because he was he was in the, in discipline mode of the nation. He was disciplining the nation for some sin. Do you get that? So that was actually the point of that story. But these guys twisted to make you think that you give this, you give your, you give your money to them, and somehow now God is obligated to bless you because you help the ministry and the man of God. Uh, you know you help their ministry. And I said, "Man of God," that brings me to my second point. Uh, there's a teaching called first fruits that said the tithes go to the. Should go to the pastor because the tithes went to the priest. It didn't really go to the temple per se. It went to the priest. I think the temple was sustained by the government, but the priest was sustained by the people by the tithes of the people, that they gave uh, when they gave alms, etc. Okay. And so somebody read the Bible, not understanding what they were reading. He said, Oh, see, first fruits. So the first fruits go to the priest. Well, I read that particular text of scripture to see if it was so, because I'm a Berean, and you should be a Berean. Anything I'm telling you, you go back to scripture and check it out. Do not believe everything I'm saying because I said it. Go back and read it for yourself and ask God to give some enlightenment and some insight. Well, I read it, and as I read through it, it said the, the tithes go to the priests. Why? Because the priests have no inheritance in Israel. It explained why. The priests couldn't own anything. They couldn't own land, property. They could own nothing. Now, they were allowed to marry non-Levites within the tribe of Israel. They were allowed to do that. And in that sense, they, some of them earned money that way, by marrying outside of the Levitical priesthood, per se. And then maybe say you marry somebody and she has property for to her by her father. In that sense, it was cool. But for the most part, they couldn't inherit every, anything and actually own anything. Well, guess what? These modern day preachers that live in these gated communities and drive those, these nice cars, etc. Who have sold you the bill of goods that if you give to them, that somehow they're, you're going to be blessed. Uh... They need to give up their cars, their houses, their jet planes, and everything else. It should belong solely to the ministry. They should not own it, and the board should control it. Well, you see where this is going. That's not going to happen. And so for that reason, this is why you have the craziness. But this is one of the con games. They run on people. You bless the man of God, and somehow you're going to be better for it. It doesn't work like that. And the third part is you come to one of their meetings and you'll be blessed. They'll pray a blessing upon you. They will pray over you and they'll anoint you with oil, etc. And this is why the teaching of the church is trending toward these various, this man-centered gospel. And there's only one reason for going to church and that's to get blessed and for God to help you go through your problems and whatever you're struggling with then that's what God is here for, to help you with your personal private battles and struggles and to help you win and be overcome in day-to-day living. I'm just going to read a small excerpt to you out of a book called The City of God. This is chapter 28, written by St. Augustine. And to me, and you're going to hear me say this, I'm going to mention this chapter several times throughout my podcasting, because this, outside of the Bible itself, was the clearest explanation of what real Christianity looks like, because there's so much corruption of it here in the West, and because we're capitalists, we've mixed it with capitalism, we've mixed it with a whole lot of other ideas, and... Um, or American exceptionalism, and I love my country, but uh, it pales in comparison to the kingdom of God. And he starts out with this: he says of the nature of the two cities. He's talking about t- two cities, the city of God and the city of man. The earthly—that's the city of man—and the heavenly. Accordingly, two cities have been formed by two loves, and the root of these cities are two loves. The earthly by the love of self. Keep that in mind. The earthly by the love of self. Even to the contempt of God. It qualifies it. I'm not saying loving self is bad, but you can't love yourself so much you have the contempt of God. The heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. Now that's a good love right there. The former in a world glories in itself. The latter we glory in the Lord for the one it seeks glory from men, but the greatest glory of the other is to receive glory from God is the glory of God. The witness of conscience. The one lifts up his head in his own glory. The other says. To his God, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. In the one, the princes and the nations, it subdues are rule by the love of ruling. People rule because they love power. In the other one, the city of God, the princes and the subjects serve one another in love. The latter obeying while the former take thought for it for all. The one delights in his own strength, represented in the persons of his rulers. The other says to God, Says to his God, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And therefore, the wise men of the, of the one city, living according to the man, have sought for profit to their own bodies or souls or both. And those who have known God glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. Professing themselves to be wise, the Bible says they became fools. That's the city of man. That is, glorying in their own wisdom and being possessed by pride. They became fools, is what actually ends up happening. And he goes into a little bit of Romans 1. But two cities, city of man and the city of God, formed by two loves. One formed by the love of self to the contempt of God. That's all our earthly cities. That's all these earthly kingdoms. And yes, uh, sad to say, the churches have been infected with this earthly love of themselves as well. The leaders love of self. They love their power. They love the influence they exert over people, and they abuse their power. And at the same time, you've got the saints who are in those churches that are there out of love for self, and they only want God for what he can do for them. They worship him and they praise him because when the praises go up, the blessings come down. And if the, pra- and the blessings were coming down, they would not praise him. That would be the end of that. The only reason why they're praising him is simply because they just want to receive blessings. And so that's the only reason why they're there. Because God is here. I'm here because God's going to fix my problems. He's going to save my wayward child. He's going to save my family. And he's going to restore, you know, uh, my family, my, my relationship with my estranged husband or wife. With my parents, God's going to heal my, my, my body from cancer. All these wonderful things. And they're only there for, simply for the fish and the loaves. That's the only reason why they're there. And that's their motivation. Now, here's something else. You say, but Don, God does do things like that. Yes, he does. God does heal. God does deliver. God save your children. God does a whole lot of stuff. Because, but the Bible says the goodness of God is to bring men to repentance. It's designed to bring you to repentance. is designed to show what God's character and his love is like for humanity, because God makes his rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. so yes, God does heal, God does feed, God does deliver, but that does not now mean that you're in a good standing with God. that's not necessarily the case. You need to reevaluate that. Uh, if you look at the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus fed the multitudes and they followed him. And he said, you're following me because you were, you know, because I fed you. He knew why they were following him. Right? Free food. Who doesn't like free food? Especially when it's good food. And this is the case, since Christ is divine, it was probably bread that like they had never tasted. It was probably pure the way bread was supposed to be made in the first place. So they must have had themselves a real feast. And the fish must have been like, uncontaminated fish. Well, the world wasn't that contaminated back then, but this must have been like, uh, since it was an act of creation, these fish and these loaves were perfect and probably fed them. They were satisfied and probably had more energy than they ever thought possible. So they followed him, right? No, that's natural. Okay, I'm not mad about that. It's cool. I would have been running behind him too if I get a meal that good. So he takes a boat. He goes to the other side. The people are looking for him. They follow him over to the other side. And oh, but let me back up. I let me digress here. I got ahead of myself. At first, he heals the people. It says he was healing all manner of sickness and disease. They were coming to him. He was laying hands on them, and they were getting healed. Now think about it. You 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 can't afford a doctor, and the doctors weren't as good then as they are now. Uh, so. You got you end up with a lot of quack quackery that was probably going on back then, and yes, there's still quackery going on today. That's you know that's another topic. Well, you come to Jesus and you're healed. You touch the hem of His garment. He opens the eyes of the blind. Uh, he's raising the dead. Yeah, yeah. I think they so they were following Him, and then later on they got hungry. And Jesus said, you know, told the apostles, you know, we're gonna. The apostles say, send them away because. It's getting dark and there's no food out here We're in the middle of nowhere. And we can't feed all these people. Jesus said, tell the people to sit down and I'm going to demonstrate to you that I'm going to feed them. So he feeds them. Then the people get excited. Oh man, this is, a, this is great. So then they followed him, not just for the miracles, but they followed him for the fish and the loaves. Now notice now, this is the same crowd that's going to crucify him later on. Exactly the same people. So then they come behind him and they said, okay, um, you know, we want to make you king. Now, you would think Jesus would say, oh, great, I want to be king. But remember now, Christ is dealing with the city of God. And he puts the mission that his father sent him here for ahead of everything else. So, okay, yeah, you're going to make me king, but well, number one, I'm going to become a king anyway. I'm already a king and I will be a king, you know, uh, eventually of everything. So, yeah, I don't really need you guys to make me king. But, however, Christ begins to lay out his terms. He said, lest you eat my flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man. He says, you have no life in you. And the people became offended by that. And I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. and get to the end of the chapter. It says, from that day forward, many left him and never followed him again. You get that? I just fed you. I just committed uh, performed miracles for you. But once I laid out my conditions of salvation, all of a sudden, people started leaving. Wow. Very interesting. The crowd turned around and they changed their mind. Because they were following him for the wrong reasons. They were following him for the miracles, and they were following him because he fed them. But when he says, okay, if you want to be a true follower of mine, you want to get past the, the Maslow's hierarchy of need? Okay, I've taken you up the wrong a little bit. I've, I've met your needs. I've I healed you. I've fed you. So now we're going to go up to the next wrong here. And they couldn't even make it to the next step in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Because Jesus, what he did is he dialed it to 10. He said, listen, eat my flesh and drink my blood or you, or you, can't, you can't be one of my followers. And the people just couldn't handle that. And they left him. And he turned to the 12 apostles and said, will you also go away? In other words, you guys can leave too if you want. And Peter says, where shall we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. And Jesus said, "Mm, I have chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. Because he's referring to Judas. So he, he didn't even know about that. But my point here is, why are you following Jesus? What's your motivation for being a Christian? Is it solely for what God can do for you? Because God does a whole lot for us. Are you just in it for the fish and the loaves and for the healing? Or are you here to meet the demands of Christ? Because this is what biblical Christianity is. In the book of uh, Hebrews, and you see this when you read the book of Genesis as well. Abraham was wealthy. He was super rich. He'd probably been in the Elon Musk or the Jeff Bezos of his day. So he was a wealthy man. He was good to go. But he lived in a tent. When it came time, he could have did like his 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 nephew Lot, moved into the city. He could have become an elder, a very influential man of power. He could have had a, 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 the, the best apartment in or home inside the city of Sodom or in Gomorrah. He could have been living in a large man. Nice chariots, you know everything is you know some super you know nice stallions to pull pull his chariots, and I mean, he would have been great. What does he do? He lives in a tent, er are you kidding me? You're living in a tent. why a tent? Why don't you go you know go into the city man you could you could live nice in there, man, think of all the influence and power you could have, but he lived in a tent, and the Bible explains why. Because he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. It's in Hebrews 11. Look it up. He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. What are you looking for? What do you expect to happen in this life? Yes, we can live for ourselves. And yes, you have to protect yourself. I'm not talking about being stupid and not protecting yourself. There there are elements out here that, that that will harm you, and you have to protect yourself. So in that sense, self-love is good. Should I feel good about myself? Yes, of course. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made, we're made in the image of God. So we bear the image of God just by birth, naturally. So we do have value in that respect, yes. Uh, you know, people look at me and say, oh, you know, you need to... Know your history in order to feel good about yourself. Listen, I feel good about myself. I have always felt good about myself my entire life. Uh, I, I I don't have I haven't had that problem. I got a good I had a good sense. Thank God, my parents gave me a good sense of who I was, so I didn't have that problem. I I you know I might went the other direction a little prideful, but but I like myself, and I'm I've been satisfied with myself my entire life. Am I satisfied with everything that I've done? Have I made mistakes? Yeah, sure. You know, but have I, do I have regrets? Of course, everybody does. But what I'm simply saying is that, but I like myself. There's no time that I not like myself. I like me. I like me some me. But I'm, as a Christian and as a believer, as much as I love myself, I love God more. And God's priorities trump anything on any and all of my priorities. The mission of God is what's paramount to me. Would I like to be rich? Yes. Would I like to, you know, it would have been nice if, you know, you're a pastor, you have a big fancy church and all that other kind of stuff. No, that's not going to happen. And I'm okay. You get that, saints? I'm okay. It's good. Why? Because I'm living to please God and his mission. And it has nothing to do with your position in a church. With your title. With none of that. I'm just trying to keep it 100 here. So as. For me. I have a love for God. That comes first. His mission comes first. And so where he sends me. I'll go where he leads me. I will follow. That's what it comes down to. And listen to this. You gotta get like the three Hebrew children, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, when they were getting ready to be put into that fiery furnace. I know some of you saying, "Isn't that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego?" Yeah, that was the slave names. Their real names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. That was the real names. Read it, second chapter of, of Daniel. So they get ready to be tossed into the fiery furnace, and the king says, "I'm gonna give you one more chance." Why don't you go home and sleep on it, and tomorrow morning you come back out, and if you if you still, you know, all you got to do is bow down to my image, and um, you're good, even if you don't mean it, right? Because you, you think they could have said, well, look, we could do it, and don't really mean it, you know, just like a token bow or whatever, but deep down in our hearts, we still worship one true God. And they could have done that, and they could, probably could have got away with it. It would have been fine, end of story. But hear what these guys say. They tell said King, we don't. We're not going to sleep on it. There's nothing to sleep on here. There can only be one outcome. This, this is only going to end one of two ways. One, our God is is well able to deliver us out of your hand. That's one way it can end. But if not, we're not going to bow down. Well, you just burn us up. But if burning up it means getting burnt up, we're we're not we're not doing it. We're we're going to go ahead and get burnt up then. See, that's what I'm talking about. The city of God. The love of God. It wasn't wasn't that they didn't love themselves, but they loved God first. And if not serving God meant, if serving God meant getting burned alive in a furnace, so be it. I'll just get burned alive. But I'm not backing down. I will not worship a false God. That's what I'm talking about, the three Hebrew boys. That's what I call buddy if not faith. That's the real saving faith of the real biblical faith. They're not following God for fish and loaves and what he can do for them. Yes, God can deliver, but if He doesn't? Yes, God can heal you of your cancer, but what happens if He doesn't? Yes, God can make you a millionaire, but what if He doesn't? Yes, God can meet your financial needs, but what if He doesn't? What happens then? You're going to quit, run out of the church? Get angry at God and defy it? Or are you going to continue to serve Him? The man that's truly born of God and the preacher that's really preaching the gospel. This is what the gospel is about. It's about loving God above self. And I know we have all the self, but all these pastors now and preachers are giving you all this self-esteem stuff and feeding you all this nonsense about how wonderful you are and, and God saw something in you and that's why God came to save you, etc. No, no, no. It wasn't because God saw something, God saw something greater. Yes, God saw his image in, uh, of man that's in us. But... There's plenty of people that God destroyed with the image of God and all. That didn't save them. Yeah, I pause for effect here. Image of God and all, and yet, read the Bible, plenty of people God got rid of. Image of God and all. But somehow we've turned it into a gospel of self-esteem and that somehow there was something wonderful in you. God saw something that nobody else saw in you. And God decided to rescue you because he saw something nobody else saw. That's not why you're saved. It was because God saw something nobody else saw. Being saved is not about securing forever the wonder of who you are. That's not it. <laughs> As always, this is not an exhaustive study. There's a whole lot more I can say on this topic. But this is just to whet the appetite, if I said some things that turn you off, please let Jesus turn you back on. I am just at a point now where it's time to cry aloud and spare not. And hopefully get as many people off the sinking ship. A lot of our services now are just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic time for some drastic measures in terms of giving out raw truth and sometimes it hurts sometimes it's offensive but I can't worry about that because the goal here is to enlighten and to encourage and to strengthen hopefully wake up some of us uh, who've been spiritually sleeping sleepwalking so I'm going to give you a few more scriptures this is not exhaustive you can reach me at rhyd two thousand one dot gmail and if you want to uh, get some information, if you want to ask me any questions, I'm more than happy to do so. And God bless you. But let me just close out with these four scriptures I want you to look at. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, we're not good. There's no goodness that God came down here and saw some goodness in us. We're desperately wicked. And the Bible says, who can know it? That's the condition of the human heart. Man is not basically good. That's a humanistic perspective. We are not good. And I challenge anybody to go back into human history I was, I liked, I love history. I was, I've been doing some European history. I'm now looking at some of the Far East, the the Genghis Khan and some of the, the the great uh, leaders there, the Mongolian Empire. Uh, Africa had great and powerful empires. And yet, Throughout human history, it's war without end. We just find reasons. All human history comes down to this. It is the strong taking advantage of the weak. I, I have a better army than yours. I come into your country, beat you up, and I take your stuff. And then one day when you come to power, you, t- you reverse the situation. You, you come and beat me up and take my stuff. And it's, it's about people beating up and bullying one another and taking each other's stuff. There it is. Human history in a nutshell. I don't care whose history it is. Whether it's African, European... Mongolian it, history is about man beating up on other men and taking their stuff. There it is. That's it. That's all we've been doing. It just depends on who has power. Some people have enough power to beat up on you, beat up on you and take your stuff in other ways that others can't. But dead is dead. I took your stuff. And now you're gonna be, I'm going to subjugate you under me. And so even if you're a citizen in that empire, you're, you're a second class citizen. So it doesn't matter. That's, that's human history. That's how it, it's, it's always been going. So, you know, regardless of who did what to whom when, we're here. And no matter who comes to power, they're going to take their power and beat up on other people and take their stuff. That's how it all comes down to. There are 7 billion people in the world right now. According to scientists, 10 to 12 billion is a saturation point for which Earth allegedly can sustain life. Which means from that point on, progressively, the resources of the earth, which are not limitless, are going to become more scarce. You think prices are high now. And then now nations are going to be forced to go to war to, to secure resources for their own populations. Uh, hell on earth is on the way, people. And if you don't know Christ, you're going, to, you're, not, you're going to be really... Yeah, it's going to be a mess. But man is is wicked. That's our condition. God didn't come out here and see something in me. You know, I, I see something in him that the other people don't see in him. No. Don't work like that. Every human being. All equally the same. We're all in the same boat. God chooses and then he molds people to be the way he wants them to be. And if, we're good, if we ever become good, it's because of what God has done. It has nothing to do with us. And then the other scripture is Romans three eleven. 11. It says there's none that seeks after God. There is none that does good. No, not one. You can't have a seeker-friendly service because man is not seeking God. He's seeking things that he can only get from God, but he's not going to the source. He's trying to get it on his own or other ways or other, other means of getting things. But God himself? No, we don't want God for himself. And if we do come to God, it's only for what he can give us. When, God, when, when that God or gods or whatever no, don't give us what we want, we're done. It's a wrap. We out. Peace. And so so many people have quote-unquote left the faith. Why? Because they've been sold a bill of goods. God had, they were promised that God was going to do all these wonderful things for them and he didn't do it. And then they became disillusioned and they've left. Well, they should have been told It says quite the opposite. God's not here to give you things. You're here to serve him. If he gives you things, wonderful. Thank him for it. Hallelujah. And if he doesn't, you serve him anyway. And I will serve God, whether he gives me things or he doesn't. It's a wrap. I'm his. At this stage of my life, not changing. No. He's been too good to me throughout my life. But not just because he's been too good to me. And by that I mean, I don't talk about he made me rich. I am mean, doing good, he's been kind and gracious to me. With loving and kindness. So, this is what the condition of man. And Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3, talks about, There is none righteous, no, not one. None of us is righteous. Nobody's better than everybody else. Anybody else. There are two lies the devil tell you. You've been so bad you can't be saved. That's a lie. Because the worst, and the worst of the worst God can save. If they come to faith and repentance. God can save them. Or you're so good you don't need to be saved. And that's a lie too. Because there's no amount of good... The the the, the best person in this, in this life... The Bible says all our rich righteousness are as filthy rags before God. And that's the female's menstruation rag. That's what the rag is talking about there. So yeah... Gross. Yeah, the Bible gets some very raw language. So, no, man is not good. Uh, so all this self-esteem about how wonderful you are as a person and loving yourself. Uh, yeah, I do love myself in a sense. I, I love life. I'm thankful for the God, life that God gave me. But there, are, there are dark, there's darkness in me. There are things in me, about me that I don't like. And that I need God to surgically remove or to help me with it, to overcome it. That's the whole sanctifying process. But if you're not a Christian, it's not going to make any sense to you. And so today, even our churches now, we have a modified version of this. We have a slick Madison Avenue uh, marketing that market churches to right down to the last detail. Haircut, wardrobe, rock band type setups, dim lights, smoke machines, etc., but no gospel is being preached. It's 100% how to improve yourself, get in touch with yourself, be a better person. Um, God loves you. Everything is okay. Don't worry about it. You know, keep going towards And it's all about discovering your goals, your destiny, your desires. And that's all it's about. And yes, I'm going to have a few more podcasts We're going to continue on 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 this particular topic But uh, for now uh, This is as far as we'll take it And I want to give you one more scripture And then we are done And I appreciate everyone who listens to these Podcasts I know they are long I thought about shortening them But then I thought about it again And I said, you know what No, if people just listen to it in segments That's fine It's all good But there's so much information I need to give out. I have to uh, make it this length. Okay. One last scripture. Here we go.
0: Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him.
1: Amen. So Ephesians 4, verse 17 and 18 This is the condition of the lost. Number one, the understanding is darkened. That means if somebody preaches to you the truth, you can't even see it. It's not going to make any sense to you. So don't get shocked when people don't understand what you're trying to say or don't believe you. They can't. The God of this world has blinded their minds, so God has to open their eyes to see the truth. So when you're giving people the gospel, they're not going to get it. The understanding is darkened. Number two, they're separated from the life of God. God, does, God is not living in them. In fact, the modern day gospel tells people that they are gods. Because they can do what God can do. They can create with their words. They can make things happen. And they, they can, you know, you say the right stuff into the atmosphere and you release power to get whatever it is you want. Which kind of makes us gods if that was the case and in fact if I can do that what do I need him for right I don't need no Jesus I can do it myself the understanding darkened separated from God's life God they don't have the life of God in them now if you can't ask a fish what it means to be wet because he's always been wet he'd have to come out of the water and not be wet to understand what wet is so you can't ask the sinner to understand what it means to have God living in them. God has never lived in them. God has to come and live inside of you. Then you know what it's like. Then you notice a difference. Oh, wow, big difference. Okay, so if you're not born of God's Holy Spirit, you don't know. And as a Christian, I don't even try to explain stuff to people. I don't even try to explain to to unsaved people because in that sense, they're not going to get it. having the understanding darkened separate from the life of god and then it says through the ignorance that is with, that is in them the blindness of the of the eyes so now they're blind there's no discernment the blindness of the eyes they they can't discern fact from fiction so you can put facts right in front of them and they can't see it in fact spiritual dyslexia they read it in reverse they think the bad thing is good and the good thing is bad. They can't tell the difference. To the point when you're laying out truth to them, they can't see it. No, I don't. I don't see that. That's wrong. Okay, I get it. The understanding dark and separate from life of God, and then it says uh, through the blindness of the eyes and the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance doesn't mean that they're stupid. You got some of the smartest people in the world, but they're ignorant. And by that, I mean. Ignorance just means lack of knowledge. They don't have the knowledge of God. They're brilliant. They can map the human genome. They can build rocket ships. They can make boats, super jets, planes, bombs. Beautiful inventors, brilliant uh, performers, write great music, write masterpiece symphonies. Man can do all these things. But without Christ, they're ignorant. Of the knowledge of God they don't have the knowledge of God that's why we preach the gospel so you say well Don if that's the case how can they get saved they can't they, they're all bound up like that because it's the work of the Holy Spirit and you see this is one of my earlier podcasts talking about the work of the only the Holy Spirit can open their eyes if the Holy Spirit is not at work you don't wait you don't waste your time you're just wasting your breath you say well Don don't you preach the gospel yes I do and I preach the gospel because God commands me to And I leave the results in his hand. I don't go. I don't. No gimmicks. No. 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 No false promises. Here's the gospel. There. There it is. And I trust God to do whatever he's going to do. The preaching of the gospel does two things. In Romans. uh, You can see Romans 1. 16. 18. 17. and, And 18. It'll tell you. But it does. It does one of two things. Either. God opens the eyes and it draws you to Christ. And you get saved. Or it's judgment work, where the gospel is preached, people reject it, and then you go further into darkness until you get to the point where uh, you get to that cutoff point of being reprobate. Now, where that is, I don't know. Not my prerogative. I don't know who's there and who ain't. Only God knows that. And that's the divine prerogative. So I'll leave that in his hands. My job is only to be the messenger. After that, it's all in God's hands. For listening to another episode of the Sword and the Spirit. I appreciate all who listen. If you want to reach out to me, you can reach me at rhyd 12001 at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter, and you'll get regular updates as to when each episode comes out. I'll be tweeting them out. And it's Donald Rhymer 1 on Twitter. And if you follow me there, that's why I set up the account for things pertaining to the sword and the spirit. So when I come out with new episodes, I can tweet them out to you and you can li- indulge yourself and listen and hopefully be blessed, listen and grow and be challenged. Next weekend, we're going to do something for Father's Day and, and try to get some men on here uh, to talk about. The issues pertaining to Christian men in this world in this life today so keep me in prayer and we have some other treats coming up for you some more interviews are coming as well and may God richly bless you and keep praying and keep doing what you're doing living for the Lord if you don't know Christ then you need to accept him as Lord master of your life and begin that new life of following Christ so God bless you And thank you once again for listening to The Sword
0: and the Spirit.